Let's open up in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we are so excited for this Sunday. We are excited to celebrate these seniors. This is such an amazing graduating class. It's been a joy to get to see them grow up and see them at this uh, just point in their lives where they're getting ready to enter into adulthood. So, Father, I just pray that the graduates are encouraged today, that they are challenged uh, from this charge to them that they just understand in a deeper way what it looks like to continue to allow you to direct their paths in this next stage of life. Be honored and glorified as we open up your inspired and errant word, and thank you for this opportunity this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Right in front of me are the pictures of many of our graduates as though we were preaching directly to you, and that's been our tradition. Now, we threw on the robes and regalia today to uh, kind of remind ourselves that this is an exceptionally special day for you, but we're going to be preaching with you, to you, from God's inspired, inerrant word. I want to congratulate our graduates. A job well done. We're excited about you. We're excited for you. And congratulations to your families who have stood by you and have cheered you on, spurred you on in so many ways. As we begin, I want to share about a teenager, about your age. It was the end of his senior year, and he was hoping to get a particular graduation present. He was an only child. In fact, he only had one parent still alive, his father. And his father had a little bit of money, and he thought, you know what? He had seen this beautiful car. It was black with red trim, convertible used, really nice at the local dealer. And he thought, you know, dad might give it to me. Now, just to clarify, this is probably as close as any of you are getting to a car, so this is not about guilting your parents into giving you a car. If you get one, good for you. Well, this young man wanted this car, and he dropped lots of hints, and the day finally came when his dad called him into the office. He knew he was going to get the car. Instead, his dad handed him a box. It was well-wrapped. Uh, he was clearly disappointed, but a bit intrigued. He opened it up, and, and it was a Bible. It was a leather Bible with his name embossed on it. It was beautiful, probably pretty expensive. And with rage, he slammed it back down into the box onto the desk. He looked at his dad and said, A Bible? Really? For graduation? That's all you're giving me? And he stomped out. He didn't just stomp out that afternoon. He left. He went on his own. He went out on his own. He did not return. He did not leave a forwarding address. And he continued to grow. In fact, he had his own wife and children. And maturity began to set into his life. And he realized how foolish he had been. And guilt set in. He was now in his mid-30s. And he thought, you know what? I need to call. I need to make contact with Dad. I need to apologize. And so he set a time that he would go see his dad the first time since graduation. But before that date happened, he received a call and his dear dad had had a heart attack and passed away. Amazingly, even though he had 
left his dad with no contact in all these years. His dad left him everything he owned. With great guilt and sadness, he went back to his childhood home and he looked through the home and he went into the office and there in the spot that he had left it was the Bible. He began to thumb through that Bible, looking at it. And he noticed that his dad had underlined Matthew 7, verse 11. It says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And he thought about that, and he continued to thumb through the Bible, and and he was about to set it down when suddenly a key fell out from the back. It had his name on it, and it had a little tag. It said, paid in full. And it was from the car dealership where he had seen that beautiful car, black trimmed with red. And he realized that his father not only gave him a Bible, but a car. And you can imagine the pain in his life. And as I think about that young man, an unwise man, unlike you, who I assume are wise women and men, this unwise man, I think of the lack of wisdom in at least three areas. First, he didn't realize who his greatest cheerleader is and was. His greatest cheerleader is God. Your greatest cheerleader is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The one that will always see what you do, always cheer you on as you choose right over wrong. The one who absolutely, in every way, wants what is perfect for each of you is God. And he had been given the word of God. Not just to sit on a desk, but to hide in his heart and to live out. The second act of un wise behavior was that he failed to see his second greatest cheerleader. That was his parent. Some of you have a parent. Some of you have two parents. Some of you also have grandparents. I got to tell you that they are your greatest cheerleaders short of the Lord. And until you have children of your own, you cannot imagine the sacrifices that your parents have made for you. You won't know that. You won't understand it until you have children of your own. And you will spend yourself gladly sacrificing on behalf of your children. Be sure to thank mom and dad and grandma and grandpa for all the sacrifices they have made for you. His third act without wisdom was idolatry. He had taken what is at best tertiary, your big grads, you know that word, it means third. He had made what was tertiary at best, possessions, primary. But God is primary, relationships are secondary, other things are tertiary and below. And when we take what is less important and we make it preeminent in our lives, that's idolatry. As I think of you all, I, I don't think of idolatry. I don't think of a lack of wisdom. I think of Proverbs chapter 1. Let me read verses 7 and 8. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, hear, my daughter, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. I think that really well summarizes the text that Andrew, Sam, and I are going to interact with today. And that is Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Allow me to read it for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I love the way it starts in verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Now we live in a day and age where trust is at a premium. We live in a day and age where the mantra is, who can I possibly trust? We have so many competing views especially on things like COVID-19, that we don't know who to trust. Did you know that in the last decade, the last 10 years, Congress's highest corporate approval rating was 30%. That means in the last 10 years, at their very best, 70% thought that Congress was not trustworthy. We have leaders today that would love a 30% approval rating, right? We have world-class scientists arguing with other world-class scientists, and, and the mantra is true. We're not sure who to trust. Trust is in short supply. Yet Scripture tells us what we need to believe, who we need to believe, and that's God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in God. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says what? Walk by faith. Walk by trust and not by sight. There was a time when the U.S. Treasury actually believed this. How do I know? Because on the back of every bill, it says what? In God, not in the greenback. In God, we trust. And what the Treasury puts on every bill is what the Bible should put on every heart. Trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord means doing things God's way. It means that we don't follow after idolatry, idols, and the world is filled with idols that tells us to trust in fame, trust in fortune, trust in premarital intimacy, trust in clawing your way up the corporate ladder, and it doesn't matter who you cream going up the ladder. These are idols. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. I don't think it's telling us to be anti-intellectual or anti-scientific or not to listen to our parents. Of course not. But what it's saying is, when the Bible gives direction in the areas in which the Bible speaks, God has spoken and we have confidence in the authority of Scripture, and we need to trust it. We need to live it out. But what happens if our experiences contradict Scripture? It says, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. What happens if we have a secular humanistic professor who is anti-God and teaches things that are anti-God? 
Trust not in your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. What if corporate America pulls us in directions other than Scripture? Trust in the Lord, not in your own understanding. Why do we not trust our own understanding? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds me of what I know to be true. My heart is deceitful. I'm sorry. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? We can't trust ourselves, but we can trust the inspired, inerrant word. That's why, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, walk by faith, walk by trust, and not by sight. Andrew. Thank you, Shrek. Um, for those of you that are <laughs> wondering why I just called Pastor Jeff Shrek, if you remember last week, he gave a challenge to the congregation for uh, the artist to rise up and depict his co-workers as characters from the movie Shrek. And lo and behold, Pastor Jeff was chosen as Shrek the Ogre more than any. So I will let that <laughs> be up to you for how to interpret that. But you know, Painful. graduates... I want to briefly consider the technical title of your upcoming graduation ceremonies. Oftentimes, they are called commencement ceremonies. And a lot of the times, we don't stop and think about what that word commencement means. When we think of graduations, we think of the end to a chapter of our lives that spanned well over a decade of time. But the word commencement reminds us that this is not just an end, but rather a beginning. Commencement means to begin or start. In a sense, you are commencing your passage into adulthood. And at first, that is a pretty exciting prospect. Who doesn't want to be an adult? But the more you think about it, it is also one that is a little confusing as well. You live in an era of limitless options. You're at an intersection at your life where there are countless different paths that you can take. And you're wondering, how can I make sure that I'm on the right path? It can feel overwhelming. It can feel daunting. That image of standing at an intersection reminds me of the first time that I ever stood at Shibuya Crossing in Tokyo. Now, you guys are probably wondering what in the world that has to do with anything. So let me explain. Shibuya Crossing is the busiest intersection in the world. It's one spot where 10 lanes of traffic, multiple train lines, and then countless crosswalks all converge. In one day, over 2 million people cross that intersection. And there I was, a tourist, walking around. Everyone's flooding past me. Cars are honking. I'm trying to figure out what route to take, and it felt overwhelming. Everyone seemed to know exactly where they were going other than me. And maybe that's a good picture for how you feel right now. High school was hard, absolutely, but it was also comfortable. And it's a little frightening now that it's over. You're standing at an intersection in your life and everyone seems to know exactly where they're going other than you. And you're trying to figure out what path to take next. Many of you are wondering, how can I be sure that I make the right decision for my life? How can I discern God's will? How can I make sure that I'm on the right path? And those are incredibly important questions to ask. And I think the next verse in our passage today gives some great insight and wisdom. Listen to verse 6. Solomon writes, In all your ways acknowledge him being the Lord, and he will make straight your paths. 
Let me rephrase that. If we seek the Lord and submit to his leadership in every area of our lives, he will make sure that we are on the right track. You should work to really brand this verse on your brains right now. Because this verse tells us if we want to make sure we're on the right path, if we want to correctly discern God's will for our lives, if we want to experience a meaningful and satisfying life, then we must make sure to acknowledge God in all of our ways. But what does that mean? What does it mean to acknowledge the Lord? Does that simply mean that we thank the Lord when everything is going well? We give credit where credit is due. Does it mean that we tack the phrase, the Lord wills or Lord willing onto all of our conversations? Does that mean we acknowledge the Lord by pointing up whenever we score a goal or hit a home run? Two things that I've sadly never done. (laughs) Do we acknowledge the Lord by wearing a cross-shaped necklace or tattooing a Bible verse on our arms? Well, none of those are bad ideas. They don't go far enough for what this verse is talking about. The word translated acknowledge here gives the sense of intimately knowing the Lord and then submitting to his leadership in every area of our lives. It means that we present the totality of our lives and put it down at the foot of the cross. I think this is an important concept for all of us because it's so easy to unknowingly live with a sacred and secular divide in our lives. That means we're very good at compartmentalizing our lives into different boxes. I have my Jesus box. I have my relationship box. I have my uh, academic box. I have my work box, my hobby box. We have all these different compartments. And rather than allowing Jesus to permeate every aspect of our lives, we try to put Jesus into a box. We give Jesus a little sliver of our lives, and then we try to hold on to the reins of the rest of our lives. We want to give Jesus Sunday mornings, but then we get to keep the other six days of the week. Sure, we might want to consult Jesus in a pinch, but we get to retain veto rights in case he sends us down a path that we don't want to go. A lot of the times we try to treat Jesus like a firefighter in our lives. We want him to show up and put the very fires out that we have started. But instead, we need to treat Jesus as the architect of our lives who designs a fireproof life from the foundation up. Friends, don't consign Jesus to be the firefighter of your life that only appears when there is something going wrong. Allow Jesus to be the architect of your lives. A wise man builds his life upon the foundation of Christ, but a foolish man builds his life upon the foundation of worldly wisdom. Do you want to find uncircumstantial joy in this life rather than happiness that comes from happenings? Well, well, that was my sermon Write your own material, please. A phrase I coined myself. (laughs) Do you want to make your life have an eternal impact rather than just squandering the time that you've been given? Do you want to avoid making stupid decisions that could derail your life in an instant? Do you want to live a blessed life? Well, this passage tells us then you must submit all areas of your life to the Lord. You must acknowledge him in all of your ways. And then when you give the Lord your whole life, he says, I will make your paths straight. He will lead you to a blessed life. Now, when we hear the word blessed, we immediately jump to the American version of that. That means that we're going to be extremely wealthy. We're always going to be healthy and we're going to be successful. But that's not the biblical definition fully of what blessed life looks, what blessed life looks like. Instead, it means a life that bears spiritual fruit, 
A life that produces uncircumstantial joy. A life that loves God preeminently and loves others sacrificially. A life that stores up treasure, not just in this life where moth and dust corrupt, but instead in eternity. You know, I have one final word picture to summarize verse 6 for us. We've got roller coasters and demolition derbies. That sounds like two word pictures, Andrew. As I was saying, I have two word pictures <laughs> to summarize our final thought here. This is how he ends all of his sermons. And I will get to them if I can have silence on the stage. You would think that with your regalia you would be dignified, but okay. We have demolition derbies and roller coasters. The first <laughs> I want to start with is demolition derbies. A demolition derby takes place when a lot of cars are squeezed into a circular arena and the the, uh, the goal is to knock the other people out and to avoid getting T-boned yourself. If there's something that's in your path, you plow through it while always looking, not knowing if you're going to get sideswiped or T-boned. The goal is survival. You never know what's going to come next. And that's what a life looks like that doesn't acknowledge God in all of your ways. We go through life without any clear direction, desperately trying to get, avoid getting T-boned or sideswiped by our circumstances. It's a life where the goal is just surviving. But think of the second picture, a roller coaster. Now, I love roller coasters. And roller coasters can sometimes feel rather scary and unpredictable. That's what they're designed to do. There can be moments when you're flying high. There can be moments when you're thrown into an unexpected loop. You can plunge towards a valley only to be lifted up to another peak simultaneously. It's wild, it's scary, it's an adventure, but one thing it's not, out of control. The entire time you're on the ride, you know that that coaster is firmly latched to the track. And that track has been meticulously designed by the architect to ensure that though the ride is wild and scary and adventurous, it will deliver you to the final destination safe and sound every time. That's what a life is like that acknowledges the Lord in all of your paths. I'm not going to lie and tell you that if you acknowledge the Lord in all your paths, life is always going to be smooth sailing. It's not. It's going to be wild. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to feel like a roller coaster with peaks and valleys and twists and turns and loops. But one thing that it, it will never be is a life that's out of control. God has perfectly laid the tracks, and he will get you to the right destination. We just need to trust and obey. Thank you. You know, as Pastor Jeff asked for artist renditions from the movie Shrek, do you know who uh, was most commonly the donkey? Who? <laughs> you know, it was Pastor Andrew. So not surprising. <laughs> so thank you, donkey. I, I don't. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we continue, allow me to read verses seven and eight from our passage. It says this: Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The graduates, in the ceremonies that you might have later this summer for your graduation, you'll walk across the stage, you'll shake the hand of your principal, and chances are he or someone else will hand you a, a binder, a folder that has a piece of paper in it with your diploma. Now, I've heard some people say, I've worked the last 12 or more years of my life, and all I get is a piece of paper? How underwhelming. 
Now, it's not the piece of paper that's important, but everything it represents, all of the exams, all of the lectures, all of the projects, all of the assignments, all of it behind you forever. You've finished, you've accomplished it, you've done it, you've graduated. Congratulations. And when we have such a high achievement, like a high school graduation or, or a college gradua- graduation or, or even a doctorate-level education like the venerable Dr. Jeffrey Hines. When we have an education, when we get that diploma, it might be easy for us to get the big head, to become prideful, to feel like we've arrived, that we know everything or almost everything. But that stands in contrast to what we see in our passage this morning. So we have to see our own knowledge in the right light to God's knowledge. God knows so much more than any of us could ever hope or ascribe to know. If God's knowledge was like the Empire State Building, then our knowledge would be like a Lego house. If God's knowledge was like the Pacific Ocean, ours would be like a rain puddle. If God's knowledge was like the Empire State Building in New York City, then ours would look like Pastor Jared's pink piggy bank. Humility, it doesn't mean that we have to have a low self-worth or self-esteem. Instead, humility means that we have the right understanding of ourselves before our Creator. We have to understand how great the Lord is and how truly insignificant we are in comparison. Reminds me of a, a verse later in Proverbs, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. That word fear can have a lot of different meanings in our world today, and we often use it to describe that emotion that we might feel in the face of danger. Now, some of us might even have irrational fears. I don't know what yours is. My phobia is of anything that stings. So just the thought of these murder hornets invading our country (laughs) brings fear into my heart. Maybe you're scared of heights or spiders or Pastor Andrew, I'm not really sure. But we all have irrational fears at times. But that's not the type of fear that this text is talking about. Instead, a synonym would be reverence or awe or respect. Because a fear of God and a respect of God starts by understanding who he is is the creator of the universe, all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present. He is totally in control. He knows even the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing can escape from him. He knows the answers to the most complex questions, and he already knows the answers to the problems that you and I haven't even come close to solving. The most powerful rulers in the world submit to God's sovereignty. He is the essence of of what it means to be wise. So for us, true wisdom begins when we fear the Lord, when we honor him, when we respect him, when we revere him. True wisdom comes when we submit our plans, our paths to the Lord. Instead of just blazing ahead and blazing our own trail, we submit to the Lord, acknowledging him in our hearts that he is wise and he knows best. He knows best. A fool says in his heart or her heart, I'll do this my way or I have it figured out. A fool says, I know better than God or I'm just going to blaze my own trail. As graduates, as you enter into this new stage of your life, you've got some big decisions to make. 
Will I fear the Lord? Will I submit to him? Or will I fear my friends? And will I submit to the way of the world? As you stand at a crossroads, because God's way of wisdom and his best life for you stands at a total contrast to the world's way of wisdom and what the world might call your best life. Just think of what the world might call the best life as you approach this next stage. Going to the parties on the weekend, it might be considered the best life. Or the world might say the best life means no church and no accountability and no Christian relationships. That the best life means no boundaries and morality and intimacy. But on the contrast, think of God's way of wisdom. Think of his design for the best life. Maybe that means not going to the parties on the weekend. It means that God has boundaries for intimacy and morality. God's way of wisdom, his best life for you. He desires that you find a great church, that you get involved in Christian community, that you find that campus ministry, that you have real, deep, meaningful Christian relationships. Because the more we do things God's way, the more free we will be. As one pastor put it, the more you fear the Lord, the less you will fear man. Do you want your life to count? Do you want to make a difference? Then fear God and turn away from evil. But then verse 8 helps us see some of the motivation, some of the perspective on why we should walk in God's way of wisdom. It says this, Proverbs 3, verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, some people think that God just loves rules and he doesn't want us to have any fun. But it's actually quite the opposite because when we follow God's way of wisdom, it leads to the best possible life because it's the life that God has planned for us. It will lead to, as the author says, healing to our flesh, refreshment to our bones. He's using the physical body as a metaphor of the whole person because when we follow God's way of wisdom, it leads to peace, it leads to wholeness, it leads to healing. But when we follow the way of the world, sure, it might have short-term pleasure, but the pleasure isn't going to last. It'll lead to pain. The momentary of pleasure of sin is not worth the lifetime of consequences. God's way is not just the right way, it's the best way. Not trusting just in God's rules, but trusting in God himself because he is faithful and you can trust him and he has a plan for each of you and wants to use you for his glory. Trust him and stay on his path. Thanks, Puss in Boots. I, I don't understand it, but yes, I did ask people to talk about my coworkers and they chose me because Shrek is tall, powerful, gentle, and gracious. And they chose Donkey. Well, I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> and somehow Sam was Puss in Boots. I don't really understand that either. But what I do understand is what the text says to me. Jeff, graduates, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, follow him. He will make thy paths straight. Do you know what making paths straight is all about? It's about directions. God has a preferred future for each of you. I can't wait to, to see these preferred futures unveiled as you follow the paths that God has for you. I love the fact that God is giving us directions. I'll tell you something about myself. 
I am direction challenged. I get lost everywhere. I'm really not good at directions. I love GPS. This is GPS. Now, I expect that you expected me to say when you go off to college, when you go into the military, when you go into the secular workforce, make sure you hide God's word in your heart, follow God's word, trust God's word, discover that preferred future and follow it. That's what you expected me to say, right? But just because we expected that that was the message doesn't make it wrong. In fact, it is right. This, my friends, is GPS. This will keep you from some of the unnecessary fires. This will keep us from some of the difficulties we don't need to fall into. We'll still be on the roller coaster. It'll still be a bumpy ride. It'll be an exciting ride. In fact, it'll be more exciting if we do it God's way. Walk with the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Follow the GPS. You know, our text today reminds us that we are to acknowledge God in all of our paths. And that's not a one-time action. That is a repeated action we have to choose every single day. It means that we are constantly tethered to the Lord in each and every season of our lives. And you're about to enter into a season of life where many high school grads experience a season of drifting in their spiritual walks. They aren't as closely tethered to the Lord as they should be. As you enter into a new context, a new season of life, you're at a point now where you have to take ownership of your own faith. If you're going to go to church on Sunday morning and worship, that's a decision you have to make. If you have to go to your college campuses and form new communities, it's going to be up to you to find godly influences and godly friends that are going to draw you closer to Christ rather than push you away. Andrew, just, just talk about the first four weeks of going away. What should those look like? And that, that is, that's a great, uh, a great idea. Those first four weeks when you guys enter into that new season at college, that is going to set the habits that are really going to set the trajectory of the next four years for you guys. It's going to be so important that if you go to a university, you get plugged into a, a Christian organization like Crew or Navigators. It's going to be important that you find a church before you even show up to college. Now's the time to be finding that out and committing to those plans of getting plugged in. Those habits the first couple of weeks really set the trajectory. So be wise, be wise. Essentially, in this next season of life, I'm challenging you to take ownership of your faith. I don't want to see you guys drift away in your relationship with the Lord because you're not prioritizing time with Jesus. As you look ahead to the next few years, I'm sure that many of you have goals. You probably have academic goals, career goals, relationship goals, fitness goals, whatever it is. I would challenge you to make some spiritual goals as well. Who do you want to be in a year? What kind of character do you want to cultivate? This year, make sure that this is a season of devotion rather than a season of drifting. And as we wrap up, allow me to recount a story that I heard uh, a while ago. When Graham and Grandpa wanted to bless their eight-year-old grandson with a very special gift, and they couldn't think of anything better than to get him a dictionary. Now, imagine yourself as an eight-year-old. Would that be your favorite gift? 
Probably not unless your name is Pastor Andrew. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. I'm not the one that's up here using words like tertiary this morning. Okay. So Pastor Jeff or Pastor Andrew. Ah. But for most of us, as an eight-year-old, probably not our favorite gift. And it wasn't uh, an exciting gift for this eight-year-old. And as he opened it up, he tried to pretend to be excited, um, but he really wasn't. And he left it in its wrapping and put it on the floor of his closet, never to see it again. Now, a couple months later, his grandparents came back to his home for a visit and very excited about this gift that they got him. They, they asked him, go, go get the, the dictionary. We, we want to see it. And sheepishly walked over to his room and brought it out and showed them with great embarrassment because it had clearly never been used. Many of you just received a, a beautiful ESV study Bible. Others received a Bible commentary and our challenge to you is don't allow either of those resources to collect dust on the shelf because Pastor Jared or worse, Pastor Jeff might come in and check on you in college. You wouldn't want to see those. You wouldn't want them to see them with dust on your shelf. Um, Maybe that's not the case. But more than just understanding God's rules by reading his word, by spending time in scripture, we deepen our relationship with God himself. We learn about his love for us, his plan for us. Graduates spend daily consistent time soaking in God's word. Allow it, as Pastor Jeff said, to be the GPS for your life. Make it a priority each day to spend time in his word. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Let us pray for you. Father, what a celebration today as we think of these graduates and we think of the future that you have planned for each one of them, a plan to use them to accomplish your purposes for your glory, to make a gospel difference in the world that you've placed them in. And Father, use them, allow them to to fear you, to respect and revere you, to turn away from evil and to trust you in the big things and the little things, spending time in your word and in prayer, prioritizing Christian community. May this be a season as they step out in responsibility, as a season that they prioritize their relationship with you. May it be a time of growth and a time of, of deepening their love for you and your church. We give these graduates to you and use them for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations.